Welcome to Current Radio's Politics Station. Please enjoy today's selection of political news. Our next topic, Abby, is the rise of far-right political parties in Europe. As we approach the 2024 elections, this is becoming a major concern for many. What's your take on this? It's indeed a significant shift, Michael. The Dutch politician Geert Wilders has made his far-right anti-Islam party for freedom the largest in the Netherlands. It's not an isolated incident either. We're seeing similar trends in Austria, Italy, France, Sweden, and Germany. And it's not just a matter of political ideology, is it? It's also about the issues these parties are addressing and how they're resonating with the public. For instance, Sweden's high crime rate, attributed to second-generation immigrants, has led to increased support for the far-right party, Sverigedemokraterna, which calls for tougher immigration laws. Exactly, Michael. There's a sense of fear and uncertainty among the population. Anti-Israel demonstrations, often led by immigrants, are becoming increasingly common. Many Europeans feel threatened and are calling for stricter border controls and... And this is where the far-right parties are stepping in, right? They're promising to take action, to bring back control, and to protect national interests. Yes. And it's not just about immigration. These parties are also calling for better housing, improved welfare for the aging population, and an end to financial support for foreign wars. It's a complex situation, and it's stirring up a lot of emotions. It certainly is. And the implications are far-reaching. If Europe doesn't address these issues soon, we could see these far-right parties becoming the mainstream in the near future. It's a pivotal moment for democracy, not just in Europe, but also in India, which will be holding elections around the same time. Absolutely. It's going to be a decisive year for democracy, with nearly two billion people collectively deciding the future of India and the European Union. It's a unique moment in world history, and it's crucial that we pay attention to these shifts and their potential impact. While we're on the subject of political shifts, let's pivot from the global stage to the American political landscape. It's not just ideologies that are changing, but also the way campaigns are funded. We're seeing an era where billionaire backers are becoming increasingly influential in presidential politics. Let's dive into this topic. Abby, let's talk about the influence of billionaires in presidential politics. It seems like the era of political party bosses has been replaced by the era of billionaire backers. What's your take on this? Indeed, Michael, it's a fascinating shift. It seems that the backing of a billionaire has become almost a necessity for presidential hopefuls. Just last week, Nikki Haley received an endorsement from Americans for Prosperity, a political network backed by billionaire Charles Koch. Yes, and it's not just in the Republican Party. Democratic presidential candidates also court these super-wealthy individuals, though the dynamic is not as pronounced. This change in politics is concerning, don't you think? Absolutely. While citizens do have a larger voice in the selection of presidential nominees, billionaires seem to get special treatment. They can influence who runs, who stays in the race, and who doesn't. It's a system that evolved accidentally from a series of unrelated changes. Right. The influence of the old bosses began to wane over half a century ago, and then campaign finance laws enacted after the Watergate scandal limited individual contributions and overall spending by candidates. But then the system began to erode. Exactly, Michael. As candidates with the capacity to raise money far beyond the spending limits 
opted out of the system. It collapsed, putting candidates who couldn't raise huge amounts of money at a disadvantage. And then came the Supreme Court's decision in Citizens United v. Federal Election Commission. That decision, along with related court rulings, changed the structure of campaign financing again, leading to the creation of super PACs, typically backed by billionaires and multimillionaires. Why do you think these super PACs are so attractive to candidates, Abby? Well, federal rules limit contributions from individuals to candidates for federal office to $3,300 per election. So to raise $1 million, a candidate would need to find roughly 300 individuals to donate the maximum amount. This can be laborious and sometimes produces minimal revenue. Super PACs, on the other hand, can provide a substantial financial backing. True, but we've also seen candidates like Barack Obama and Bernie Sanders generate a significant amount of grassroots money. They showed that passion and enthusiasm among the masses can lead to significant funding, even in small amounts. But for most candidates, this is a difficult feat to achieve. Indeed, Michael. The current system also leads to distortions. For instance, the Republican National Committee has set terms to qualify for the presidential debates this year with a combination of strength in public polls and numbers of individual donors. Those who don't reach the threshold can't participate in the debates, and the threshold rises with each debate. It's clear that the system favors the super wealthy. Their voices are amplified because they speak with dollar signs. But let's not forget that even with all the money in the world, candidates still have to do the work of campaigning, honing their message, and making a persuasive case to voters. Money alone can't do that. That's a crucial point, Michael. The influence of money in politics is undeniable. But at the end of the day, it's voters who will make their voices heard when the primary and caucus season begins. From the influence of billionaires in politics, let's shift our focus to the political battleground that is Capitol Hill. Fresh from the Thanksgiving break, lawmakers are back in action, and it seems like the budget talks are already heating up. Let's delve into some of the proposals that are causing a stir. So, Abby, Capitol Hill is back in action post-Thanksgiving, and it seems budget talks are already heating up. Republicans have come forward with proposals that, let's say, aren't exactly music to the Democrats' ears. What's your take on this? Indeed, Michael. The Republicans are pushing for policies that seem to be quite polarizing, especially on issues like military aid to Israel and Ukraine and border policies. For instance, they're proposing to resume the construction of the southern border wall, a project initiated under former President Trump. Ah, yes, the border wall. That's a topic that has seen a lot of back and forth. It's interesting to see it come up again, especially considering that President Biden's administration has recently started building some sections that were planned under Trump. Exactly. And the Republican proposals don't stop there. They're also suggesting ending relief to refugees from countries like Ukraine and Afghanistan, creating no pathway to citizenship for migrants already in the U.S. and... And requiring deportation of many, right? That's quite a hardline stance. I guess it's no surprise that Senator Dick Durbin called the Republicans' proposal not a good starting point. Right. But amidst all this, there are some attempts at less controversial immigration reforms. U.S. Repert Ashley Hinson, for instance, introduced two bills last week aimed at addressing the crisis at the southern border. Oh, you're referring to the Prince Act, 
and the Southern Border Transparency Act, aren't you? The former would authorize U.S. Customs and Border Protection to fingerprint non-citizen children under 14 who are brought into the country illegally, while the latter would require DHS to issue reports detailing the total number of undocumented immigrants crossing the southern border illegally, including those awaiting trial. Yes, Hinson's team believes these measures could receive bipartisan approval. Well, that would indeed be a rarity in the current climate. Speaking of climate, there's also the matter of the Flex Fuel Fairness Act introduced by U.S. Rep. Marionette Miller-Meeks. It's an interesting proposition, don't you think? Absolutely. It's aimed at promoting cleaner energy sources by qualifying engines built to burn up to 83% ethanol to meet the EPA's greenhouse gas emission standards. It's a step towards a greener future, but also raises questions about fuel efficiency. There's a lot to unpack there. And let's not forget the efforts of Wisconsin Rep. Todd Novak, who's been meeting with representatives of the Wisconsin Broadcasters Association, the Wisconsin Newspaper Association, and the Wisconsin Freedom of Information Council to discuss ways to protect public notices for meetings and open records. Indeed, Novak's been a consistent supporter of press freedoms. It's a reminder that amidst all the budget talks and policy debates, there are still individuals working to uphold the fundamental principles of our democracy. From the complexities of policy debates and attempts at bipartisan reform, we now turn to a serious matter emerging from the Sunshine State. This next story involves a high-profile political figure and a grave allegation that's sending ripples through the political landscape. Our next topic is a rather serious one, Abby, and it involves the head of the Florida Republican Party, Christian Ziegler. He's been accused of rape by a woman who had been friends with him for 20 years, a case that's causing quite a stir in Florida's political scene. Indeed, Michael. It's a grave allegation, and it's having significant ramifications. Governor Ron DeSantis has called for Ziegler's resignation, stating that his presence would be a distraction. It's worth noting, however, that no criminal charges have been filed against Ziegler, and he staunchly denied the allegations. That's correct. Ziegler's attorney, Derek Byrd, has expressed confidence that Ziegler will be exonerated once the police investigation concludes. But there's more to this story, isn't there, Abby? Certainly, Michael. Ziegler's wife, Bridget, is a co-founder of Moms for Liberty, a conservative group that's been in the spotlight for pushing against LGBTQ causes. This situation has led to accusations of hypocrisy from Democrats and LGBTQ activists. The fact that Bridget Ziegler is an elected member of the Sarasota County School Board and was appointed by DeSantis to the board overseeing Walt Disney World's land development adds another layer of complexity to the complexity, indeed. And there's also the fact that DeSantis is seeking the party's presidential nomination. He trails behind former President Donald Trump in the polls, and this situation could potentially impact his standing. Absolutely. Nikki Freed, chair of the Florida Democratic Party, has also called for Christian Ziegler's resignation and pointed out what she sees as hypocrisy in the situation. She made a statement that, while what happens behind closed doors is the Ziegler's personal business, there's a certain level of irony in the situation given their public stances on certain issues. That's a fair point. The Ziegler's have been quite vocal about their conservative views, especially in relation to LGBTQ causes. It's a situation that continues to evolve and we'll be keeping a close eye on it. 
Now let's shift gears to... Just one more thing, Michael. It's important to remember that at the heart of this political storm is an alleged victim. While we discuss the political implications, we mustn't lose sight of the seriousness of the accusation and the potential trauma involved. It's a reminder that, regardless of political affiliation or public standing, no one is above the law.